Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Tonight, it's a new episode of All Rise, the legal drama where one judge is shaking up the system. When I take the bench, I'm taking a vow to fight for justice. One case at a time. Your Honor. We're going to trial. Simone Misick is Judge Lola Carmichael. Up on that bench. Everything is different. A new episode of All Rise. Freedom is at stake. It's important. Followed by a new episode of Bull, tonight at 9, 8 central on CBS. Tonight, it's the CBS original comedy, The Neighborhood. I need at least a month to prepare for a debate, not six hours. Actually, it's four hours. <laughs> no, my watch is broken, too. With Cedric the Entertainer, Max Greenfield, and guest star Wayne Brady. You gotta fund the schools or graduate fools. I stole all my lines. Look, don't worry, I got a plan. Okay, well, what is it? Okay, so I don't have a plan. A new episode of The Neighborhood. You're gonna have to give them a show. Tonight, 8, 7 central on CBS. DJ Moore in his first three years has done an exceptional in first two years has done an exceptional job, but you and I know he can do better because we've seen the talent and also too what's the standard Julio Jones, uh, Michael Thomas those guys are here, uh, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin those are the standards that he's chasing. Now people can say that I'm hating. I'm gonna tell you this and I'm sick and tired of hearing it. Even some of these folks on YouTube. I'm not jealous of DJ Moore. I'm 41 years old. I've played in this league for a long time. What I do expect out of him, of our conversations man-to-man is, he has so much talent. I don't want to see him check in a game and check out of a game. Sports Radio FNC, that was Steve Smith on DJ Moore on the clubhouse uh, earlier this week. And I, I think he's right in the general sense about DJ Moore. I also... Want to know what Steve Smith is doing on YouTube reading the mentions? Is that what he said? I thought he said YouTube. Pretty sure. Yeah, Smitty man, you got you, get out there and play some golf. Go, you know you love to golf. Why are you reading YouTube comments? Nobody should ever read YouTube comments. Well, that, see, that's where that is where your brain cells go to die. I think this is where Smitty is different from you and me. Smitty's looking for fuel. At all points. So I think he goes to the place where hate lives to I fuel so. up so then yeah. then he can have something. I think I think that's motivating him with a bunch of noobs on YouTube. But why YouTube? Why YouTube? I mean, you got Twitter, you got Facebook, you got all these other places. Maybe Twitter what? wasn't hateful enough for him. <laughs> he had to go to the worst place out of all three and said, you know what? I want to see what these guys are saying about this video. Yeah, like, like, like the, the, okay, they, they always say you got to go through hell to get to heaven. Well, maybe Twitter is not hell. Maybe it's just, you know. Hell, light hell. I don't know. I think he could have just literally typed in his name on Twitter and he would have found some hate. I'm just saying. Who's I don't think he... Okay. <laughs> Who's talking bleep to Steve Smith plenty on Twitter? People. Oh, there's plenty, plenty of people. And, 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 and it's all the people that have no avatar. I Yeah, yeah. There's, there's plenty I know of people out there who aren't, aren't the big Smitty fan. And now... You can trace emails on there. I'm not, I'm not talking bleep. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> Oh man, uh, he's right. Uh, Smitty's right. Uh, D- DJ is it has a lot of talent, and I think that in this system with Teddy uh, throwing him the ball, I think DJ could have a terrific season. He had a pretty good season last year. Uh, DJ still has room to go. Uh, I- I'm excited about what the future holds for DJ Moore, but 
when Smitty says, look, number one wide receivers in this game, big time wide receivers in this game, it's the names that he mentioned. It is Julio. It is DeAndre Hopkins, Michael Thomas. Uh, Godwin has, after what he did last year, has emerged as one of those dudes. Uh, Tampa Bay has two guys that would be number one receivers on virtually any other team in the NFL. Uh, DJ's not there yet, but given the way he played at times last season, uh, I thought he was much more consistent last season than he was as a rookie, which is expected. That's good. He's getting better. Uh, DJ has a chance to be... A, a legitimate, we know his name around the league wide receiver. He's not that guy yet. He's getting closer, but people know him in Carolina because we're in Carolina. You ask people in the middle of America who DJ Moore is, you're not going to have a lot of people who know his name. That's not the case with guys like Julio and Michael Thomas. Those are stars. DJ Moore is not a star yet, but he's on his way if he keeps it up. Let's also be very clear to anybody who thinks Smitty or anyone else is hating on DJ Moore by saying he's not in that category. He kind of hasn't had the time to. Julio Jones has been around a decade. You know, Michael Thomas has been one of the best receivers since stepping foot in the game in 2016. DJ, I don't know if that's true. About I mean, Michael o- o- Thomas. Odell Beckham was a star two years into the game. Michael Thomas was. They're guys that are, I mean, you get two also, years into the game, they're, they're guys that are stars. It doesn't take also, that long. One played in New York, one played with a team that was winning consistently, not with a team that, that tends to not get as much. The interest because they haven't been very good or Cam's been hurt. Do you so, think DJ's as good as those two guys were after two years? I think he's been really Come good. On. Yeah, I, that's not my question. What, okay, what's the question? Okay, let me, okay, let me turn it around on you then. Do you sure. think if DJ Moore was in New York or New Orleans that his name would be more well known? No, because I don't think DJ Moore would have 1,200 yards on a team that had more options. Well, but you so, saw you saw it happen in Tampa Bay with Chris Godwin, who who became one of those guys, a 1,200-yard receiver with Mike Evans. Yeah, and Chris Godwin is a better receiver than DJ Moore. Okay. I mean, that's – and I don't think Chris Godwin's a superstar. I don't think that at all. But Mike Evans is the better name on that team because he's been around a little bit longer. He was a higher draft pick and is a little bit more established. But Godwin is better than DJ Moore is at this point. He's more productive, and anybody will tell you he's the, he's the better player at this point. But DJ is just – I mean, look, the point is that the two-years thing – I don't think that's that. That's the reason because plenty there, of there guys, plenty of guys have become, reason. There I agree. I'm, 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 I'm going and w- <laughs> with DJ. Yeah, I mean, I, I got I got more. Um, the reason that they're not, or they're, oh, I'm sorry, the uh, the fact that they're not winning is absolutely playing a role in this. But that's a double edged sword because I think part of the reason that DJ's numbers look as good as they do in some cases is this was a team that was losing losing a lot of games was behind. Threw the ball to DJ a lot to catch up, and they didn't really have anybody else to throw it to last season at receiver. Uh, they obviously have McCaffrey, but DJ got a ton of targets last season. If DJ was playing on an offense where there were more weapons around him, I don't think you're going to see DJ Moore getting the same sort of volume production that he got on a losing team in Carolina. So there's, there, there's, it's, it, it goes a little bit deeper than that. DJ's very good, but Smitty's 100% right that there is there is a consistency about DJ's game that that has to be there uh, in year three. I think it will be. I think it can be. But Smitty's 100% right to say that there's still room to go. And I love that Smitty continues to push and challenge this guy because he sees, it's obvious, he sees the talent and the potential that DJ has. And that's, you know, that's something I think people have slept on. The very night that DJ Moore became a Carolina Panther, Steve Smith put his stamp on DJ Moore. He said, they finally replaced me. That's what he said on draft night. Steve Smith doesn't say things like that very lightly. And he has taken a relationship. I uh, I think it was last week. 
I uh, I found the video of Steve Smith messing around with DJ Moore saying, should I put you on my fantasy team? And, and if you give me two points, I'm going to smack the bleep out of you. It's apparent that he feels something for, for DJ Moore, and he, he does. He, it's not just... A dude on mountains high saying, "When I was when I played football, look how great I was." It's a dude saying, "This guy can be really great, but he isn't there yet." Those are two very different things. Yeah, and I, I just that this is Smitty's way of I think carefully crafting a message to DJ. And hey, let's face it, maybe Steve remembers what he did last year when he came on with Kyle. And and Kyle does a great job of getting these this kind of answers out of Smitty because when Smitty wants to go in on DJ Moore, DJ has responded. And and DJ responded last year. What did he do? As soon as Smitty came out and called him out and said, you know, uh, he's soft, he's not getting separation, all those things, DJ went out and had four straight 100-yard games and was, for that stretch, that month of football, I would argue was one of the best wide receivers in the league. Certainly was one of the most productive. I think he was second in that span of receptions and he was first in yards. So... DJ has responded in the past to Smitty, and I love that Smitty continues to push the kid because he said on draft night, famously, they haven't replaced my, me until until now, and I still think there's a possibility. Uh, the other thing, and I don't know, I think deep down Smitty probably knows this. I don't know that he's the kind of guy that would say it out loud. DJ is better than Steve Smith was at the same stage of their careers. Steve Smith was a late bloomer. And that it's, was said and it's, by Josh Parcell I, that, of Wilson and Parcell. I'm not afraid of Steve Smith. <laughs> I, I'm, I have seen uh, you uh, in the same studio. There's a healthy respect at the very least, sir. Yeah, respect the guy. I'm not afraid of the guy. You think I'm afraid of I me? Mean, like, I'm not going to fight Steve Smith. And if Steve Smith wants to fight me because I said after two years in the league, he wasn't as good as DJ Moore is now. And again, which that was part Josh what, Parcell that made that comment. You sound like the one who's scared of him. You don't no, want to no, say I'm anything just, critical. I was just informing the audience. I think you're the one who's scared. You're Listen, the one who's afraid. Because apparently if Steve comes in this room, you're going to be pointing the finger at me. What do you think he's going to do? Uh, you think he's, he's going to fight me over that? Guys, I'm not afraid to say I'm afraid of Steve Smith. <laughs> okay. I mean, I'm afraid of Steve if, if I thought he was going to fight me, but I don't think I'm getting personal with Steve Smith. Well, here's the thing that I have over you in a potential fight with Steve Smith. He has admitted I have pretty eyes, and that seems to disarm him. Yeah, that's like the, the highlight of your life was yeah. the Steve telling you that. So with with Steve, back to the point, Steve was Steve, Steve was a guy that had to and this is, I mean, people have talked about this publicly, but this is why Steve became so great is he was overlooked as an undersized kid out of Utah, not a D1 scholarship. I don't, I don't think he had an offer and he ended up at Utah, but um, I don't remember exactly. But either way, was an overlooked guy. And then when he got to the NFL, was a punt returner, hell of a returner from the jump, but wasn't viewed as a guy who was ever going to be like a number one wide receiver, became that guy over time. And by the time he hit year four, I mean, he was among the best receivers in the game, but with DJ, that's where I think Steve is, is trying to push DJ to say, don't rest on your laurels. You're a first round pick. You've got talent. But if you can put in the same sort of work that Smitty put in and, and bring the same sort of attitude and focus that Smitty had, because Smitty's world-class when it comes to that. And if you can have that, now all of a sudden you're talking about a guy who can be as good as Smitty was. And that's an incredibly high bar because he's the best to ever do it in a Carolina uniform. So that that's where Smitty's going with DJ. And I think if DJ if that can connect with him, if Smitty's words can connect with DJ, they have in the past, that is a great thing for the Panthers because the potential is there for DJ to be that good. Uh, Smitty's showing leadership even off the field, even though he's not an official, you know, assistant to GM, you know, like uh, like maybe Luke Keekley is in a scouting capacity. I think we should follow the lead. I think I think we should start 
is calling people out and motivating them for this year. But with the Panthers, since we maybe prefer that they're going to, you know, maybe go two and 14, I think we should motivate them the opposite way. I, you know, you guys are really good this year. Matt Rule, you got, you're going to surprise people. Do you think that works? Can we pull reverse psychology in this case? Or is, does it only work if you're derogatory towards some of these talents? We call that the Mac attack. Yeah, it hasn't worked to this point. <laughs> well, okay, that's, but this, this is a new that's regime. That's Mac every August when he's like, guys, you know what? I'm thinking um, Okay, but 16, guys, I, I got I to gotta go for it. 16-0. and 0. That, That's Mac every August. It hasn't worked yet. He came close in 2015. Okay, but here's the only thing about that. Yeah. They expect it from Mac. Right? right, right. So with us, I feel like we've got a good reputation of of being, uh, you know, fair, objective on these things. So I think if they hear us saying you guys are gonna win the Super Bowl this year, yeah, then they'll that- ease <laughs> off the gas and they'll go two and fourteen, right? Oh, you're talking about the pan- uh Yeah, I don't want them to go two and fourteen. But so I, I'm not gonna you, do so that. So you hate Trevor Lawrence as well as DJ Moore? No, no. I d- I'm not rooting for the Panthers to lose 14 games. I'm not rooting I, I, for the Panthers to win 10 games. No, sir. Uh, I would like to be clear here. I'm not rooting for them to lose. I'm rooting for them to win the services of Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, there you go. I mean, you, well, then you you are turning into Mac. I'll be 100% you honest with you. Just, you should, you should, you should, you should, uh, you could do eight hours of radio. You, I and know. Ma- you and Mac could just talk about Trevor Lawrence for four hours every morning no. and then get that out of your system, and then you can come back to reality with me. No. See, well, see, okay, so when 2 and 14 is the reality, and I am proven. Well, I picked him to go 2 and 14. I'm just saying I didn't, oh, I'm not rooting for it. Suddenly we're hedging our bets now. Hedging what? What are you? What? What are we right. talking about? Okay, in this case, I'm just trolling you. Just so we're clear, <laughs> I am trolling you. This, this isn't is, like my totally legitimate point that uh, five and eleven is the seven or eight and eight of top ten picks. That which, one was, which, by the way, is the most profound statement I've ever heard on radio. Mm-hmm. I mean that like we're talking about practice, man, or we're playoffs. I mean we're talking about the, the best quotes of all time. Five and eleven. Is the eight and eight of top ten picks? Yep, I just, I'm I'm genuinely impressed should, by that. I'm should, not I'm not being I'm not being sarcastic. Should I'm, we send it to Daniel Jeremiah and let him lease it? You know what? He'd probably appreciate I it. I like think he would a, like that. I feel like this is a T-shirt. Like we we don't have enough. Like in Cleveland, <laughs> the there's Panthers a T-shirt for, for sure. everything. We don't have enough T-shirt companies making things of like you know half-begotten slogans here for the Carolina Panthers. I think that's I think that's the next step of Wilson and Parcel here. Uh, USA Today has the Panthers going two in fourteen. That happens if finish the statement there. And what is the next step for DJ Moore? Rick Bunnell of the Charlotte Observer breaks down the Hornets lottery chances next on Sports Radio FNC. All the Hornet fans out there, do what you got to do. You know, whatever you got, you know, to to hold or rub or you know, whatever you got. Let's let's bring it out for Thursday night. So, yeah, we you never know how this thing's gonna go. Obviously, it's a, it's a lottery and it can fall a number of directions. Um, hopefully, it, it you know it falls our our direction. But no matter what, we'll find a good player. Hornets head coach James Borrego today. On the Hornets' Twitter handle, uh, he's trying to do his part there, getting people amped up, excited. Uh, The NBA draft lottery is tonight, and the Hornets have a 6% chance of getting the top pick. 
Uh, they got a 34% chance of getting the eighth pick and a 32% chance of getting the ninth pick. Uh, and, and the stat we shared earlier today in the show is since 2004, when the Bobcats uh, re-entered the league, the draft position for the Hornets Bobcats franchise has stayed the same 10 times, worsened five times, improved zero times. Tonight, the streak ends. That's right. They're going to get it right tonight to talk about that and more. A man who's lived through it all, uh, a survivor of covering some bad basketball here. The great Rick Bonello, the Charlotte Observer, joins us now on the Technicom Hotline. Rick, welcome to the show, buddy. It's not easy covering an NBA team for 30 years and never having covered a conference final. <laughs> You'll get it eventually, Rick. And so for those people out there who don't understand how the process is going to differ tonight and how things have changed because of, of COVID and not getting everybody together, how will the, the process tonight differ from usual? Well, it's obviously a lot less pomp and circumstance and everybody won't be in some gigantic ballroom in Chicago. Um, you know, normally the way that the NBA does this, and it's smart, is they have the, uh, the, the lottery two nights before the combine starts. Well, this year, um, we don't definitively know whether there's going to be a combine, and if it is, it's almost certain to be virtual. And beyond that, we don't even know whether um, teams will be allowed to bring in players for individual workouts. Um, I think that's going to be interesting. You know, I'm, I find it really interesting that Mitch Kupchak went out of his way to say um, when the season was declared over that he would have been perfectly ready to um, uh, draft on June 25th if they left the draft the way it was. Um, he feels he's ready. Is that a good thing? (laughs) Well, I'll tell you, Josh, um, one, one little thing that I thought was interesting was, um, he has, uh, he normally goes to Europe in late March and April. Yeah. And this year he happened to go in January and Mm. that's probably a, a, you know, a good thing considering everything that happened. He told me, that he got back in the States in late January and um, that he felt like he saw everybody he really needed to see. Now, you know, what we don't know, I think it's going to be dramatically different from the NFL draft in the sense that basically the hate was in the barn. And now, you know, we have, don't have an NCAA tournament. We don't have, for the most part, having had conference tournaments. Um, the opportunity to see players against other great players was really diminished. Hornets beat reporter Rick Bennell joining us in the Technicom hotline here on Wilson and Parcel. I, I, I'm i trying to get excited about the idea of the number one pick. If the Hornets were to, to pull this off and, and get the number one pick, who are some names that Hornets fans would need to know? Um, this is not this is not a draft anything like last year when, when I think no matter who um, got the first pick, it was going to be Zion. Um I think that there are hypothetically four or five players, any whom, any one of whom could um, end up being the top pick, depending on who gets it tonight. I will tell you this: um, Mitch has really gone out of his way to message that uh, need would not carry the day over um, value. That he just doesn't feel like they're anywhere close enough in terms of um, talent in the aggregate to act that way. It's interesting because a guy that I think is maybe going to be on the board at eight, if the Hornets end up drafting there, is Obi Toppin. And Obi is very similar, not identical, but similar to Miles Bridges. That leads me to my question, Rick. I want to ask you about Miles. 
We're two years into the Miles Bridges experiment here. There's a lot of good, and there's some bad as well. Do you view Bridges as a guy who's a fixture of the Hornets for years to come? Or do you think he's a guy that, depending on who they draft tonight or how they address the roster in the next year, could be a guy that maybe they view as more valuable as an asset as opposed to a building block on this team? I don't think it's in the long-term best interest of Miles Bridges to to be a small forward. I'm not saying he won't play some small forward, but I don't think that you want him um, to be your three to um, allow for P.J. to be your four. He is a small ball four. And at some point, I think they're going to have to choose between them. Um, And hopefully in a way that whatever they choose um, means that they get something in return rather than, you know, one of them just sort of leaving in free agency. Rick, do you think it would be a certainty that if the Hornets got the number one pick, they would keep the pick? Oh, no. (laughs) I think think Mitch is very much... Uh, the sort of person who um, doesn't jump to conclusions. I think that he would um, see that the, that pick is a commodity. Um, Mitch likes to explore things. Mitch is very deliberate. Um, he's not impulsive. And so, you know, there's been an awful lot of time. You know, this this off season is gonna is so extended. Um, but the other problem, Nick, that I think is kind of germane to that is truly nobody knows what salary cap is going to be next season and how much you know teams are going to have salary cap problems who's going to have to unload contracts until we know what that cap number is going to be sometime in october um there's only so much you can really do working forward do you think or or rather what kind of moves do you think could implore the hornets to move off that number one pick uh if they in fact got it a young guy who is a difference maker. And that sounds generic, but really, I don't know how many teams in the league um, have less of a number one option than they do. And that is no knock on Devontae Graham or P.J. Washington, who are clearly their two best young players and are clearly NBA starter quality players. But I mean, Nick, I, I say this all the time. I just don't see anybody on this roster right now who you could say with great confidence is the best player on a team who gets to the second or third round of the playoffs. Yeah, that that's where the, the rubber meets the road, as it were. But I, I personally would keep the pick no matter what, unless they somehow got some blown away offer and Ben Simmons all of a sudden is available for the one pick, which doesn't seem realistic. Um, okay, speaking of uh, Ben's... Oh, okay, you know, when you say oh, that, Josh, yeah. and, you know, and I'm, I'm just pulling a name out of the air, okay? Okay. I'm not saying he'd be available, but if if Jimmy Butler um, or somebody was suddenly available, somebody who could not just make a difference, but potentially make a difference for a long time, mm-hmm. somebody who um, forces opposing teams to really you know skew what they do defensively on the scouting report, I just think that that matters, and you need to you need to listen. Yeah. Uh, and that that's a name that's big enough to I'd, I'd pick up the phone. I know that. Yeah. Um, okay, Rick. Also, l- l- young enough is the, yeah. young enough matters. To- totally, totally I agree with that wholeheartedly. Let, let's pivot to the NBA playoffs, Rick. I I try to be pretty reasonable when I when I make bold predictions or or bold proclamations, but I got to tell you, man, watching Luka Doncic, I think it's possible possible just watching this kid at 21 years old and knowing what he's done before he even got to the NBA when he's 20 years from now, retiring, we could be talking about a guy who's one of the three or four best players who's ever lived. Am I crazy for thinking that's that's in the realm of possibility for him? 
I know what you're trying to say when you say his his potential is massive. He's a connector, and that has always mattered, but it matters much more in this sort of you know positionless you know how you know um, sort of um, you know how good you are matters more than what quote position you are. Yeah. Having said that, that you know that, that that's asking an awful lot, Josh. But I will tell you this. The two players, young players in the NBA who get me most excited are him and Jason Tatum. And we saw him back-to-back last night. I mean, they both went off, and, and, and now Luka Doncic, the most points in two games through uh, the first two games of your career in the playoffs, passing Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He's off to a heck of a start. Um, okay, so speaking of Tatum, he's playing alongside Kemba Walker. Um how far can this team go? And, and, and what's it like watching Kemba now? Uh, it, this is the same old Kemba, right? Uh, yes, but he finally doesn't have to play hero ball all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I always find it really weird when people would, would say that he's a ball hog or something. No, that was an effect, not a cause. I mean, who was he supposed to throw the ball to with four seconds left in the shot clock? Um, now he's got choices all around him. And he, you know... Um, Kemba told me a really interesting story in the preseason that after a couple of practices, Gordon Hayward had to walk over to him and go, hey, stop fitting in. And Kemba said, what do you mean? And he goes, we brought you here to be Kemba Walker. Stop trying so hard not to get on anybody's nerves. We're not going to, you know, we want you to be you. Rick Vanell. if the- you know Kemba, that's who yeah, he is. Right. Rick Pinnell, the Charlotte Observer on the Technicom guest line here on Wilson and Parcel. We are breaking down the draft lottery, but also we got the pra- uh, the playoffs going on. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Lakers-Blazers matchup uh, game two tonight? Uh, I think the Lakers are, are going to come out breathing fire, and it wouldn't shock me if they won by 15. Um, I, I know Josh think, thinks otherwise. I doubt that the Blazers can string together four victories, but I can tell you something. A team at, with, without depth, without great depth like the Lakers, um, they can't really afford this early in the season to be greatly extended um, in playoff series. This is going to take a chunk out of them. Well, and that's what I think about when I'm watching LeBron. It's like everybody says that was playoff LeBron the other night, and LeBron was good, but Playoff LeBron, to me, is NBA Finals LeBron. I'm backing you down in the post and basically picking and choosing my spots and hitting shooters if you're not going to stop me. That wasn't really what he did the other night. If LeBron has to do, I think, if LeBron has to do against Portland what he has been doing historically once they've reached the finals, I just don't see a world in where the Lakers get through four straight series. Is that kind of how you see it, too? It sounds like it. I think it's really cool that LeBron... um went out of his way this season to let AD know that as far as he was concerned, AD, it was AD's team. Um, that means that AD has to hold up the other end of the bark, and that means you don't need to see um, a whole lot of threes. You need to see AD be the, you know, the, as dominant a, a mid-post guy as there, you know, as there can be in this league. You can follow him on Twitter at Rick underscore Bunnell. He is the Hornets beat reporter for the Charlotte Observer on the Technicom hotline. Rick, great stuff as always, man. Appreciate it, and, and let's get some luck and have a great tomorrow then, okay? Take care, guys. Thank you for having me. Rick Bunnell there again on the Technicom hotline. When we come back, we're going to react to what we just talked about with Rick there, including the Hornets lottery chances and the latest in the NBA playoffs right here on Wilson and Parcell on Sports Radio FNC.
Radio FNZ. We do have the By the Boat segment coming up in about 10 minutes here on the show. Uh, excited to get into that. We'll also get more into the draft lottery uh, coming up in 20 minutes. Of course, that is tonight. We just talked with Rick Bennell, but I, I loved what he said about the playoff series tonight, the Lakers versus the Trailblazers. I, I know that a lot of people want to count the Lakers down. I actually want to see how they play tonight. And while absolutely they need to hit their shots and they being everyone, not just the guy I'm going to say, but I want to see the dog come out in Anthony Davis. It's time. If Anthony Davis is going to be, if he's going to be closer to magic and Kareem and all the other great Lakers, instead of being closer to Anthony Davis, it starts or, uh, it, instead of closer to Dwight Howard, you got to be able to beat your first round opponent here as the one seed. Yeah, they, they need a more aggression out of Davis. But some of this, I, I go back to what I said the other day, does fall on Vogel. That Vogel has to tell AD, we're playing you at the five. We're not going to play JaVale McGee. You're going to have to guard Nurkic. You're going to have to play inside. And we're going to run our offense around you. But we're going to run our offense around you from out, out of the paint. And if they can do that, I think the Lakers are a much better offensive team. When when Anthony Davis is is resorted to a face-up guy from 15 feet, he's good at that. He's a very good face-up player. He's, he's a great jump shooter. He can get his shot off over anybody. Um, he's a, he's a, For his size, he's a good three-point shooter. But when you res, it's, it's the same thing with Joel Embiid. When you, Embiid can shoot from three. But if I'm playing Philadelphia, I want Joel Embiid standing outside the paint. It becomes so much easier to guard teams like that when you have a dominant big who is soft and wants to stand around outside and jack up jump shots. It's a much easier team to defend. And then you also compound that when you talk about the Lakers. LeBron James is a better shooter than he's ever been. He's closer to a 39% three-point shooter now. He's 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 developed that part of his game. But LeBron's success is predicated upon driving downhill, attacking the paint, getting inside close to the rim. Well, when you've got two bigs on the floor that neither one of them provide a ton of spacing, Davis provides some, but don't provide a ton of spacing, all of a sudden you've clogged driving lanes. And then you can pound it one step further with the, with wings who aren't knocking down shots. Where is the spacing coming on offense? How are you creating lanes to attack? It's going to make it that much more difficult to get easy shots at the rim. So I think that they they need to play Davis more at the five. Dwight Howard is, I, I don't know that you can rely on him at this point. Um, same thing with Javale. So I would like to see that out of them. But I do think the Lakers will will play well tonight. I think they will will win. But it's hard for me to say that with a ton of conviction when we haven't seen the Lakers play a good game in three weeks, and the Blazers have played well each of the last six nights they've played. Well, and we can we can talk about the loss of Avery Bradley. We can talk about the impact of losing Rajon Rondo, and those are important key players that they don't have right now. They'll get Rondo back here, uh, and it feels like we're getting closer to that moment. But let's also be real about the Lakers' plan this year. They anticipated Kyle Kuzma being a more impactful player. He's not been that. Anthony Davis to the five can, and, and bringing Kyle Kuzma up into the starting lineup can potentially unlock a more aggressive and a more assertive Kyle Kuzma, which is kind of the point. Like, if you can get Kyle Kuzma going, then it's going to take a little bit more pressure off the other guys because somebody else is stepping up. And then maybe you can start to unlock the Danny Greens. Then maybe, you know, you can get a nice night from Markeith Morris or some of these other guys so that there isn't just the pressure on just LeBron and AD to do it all. 
Yeah, I mean, look, Kuzma needs to start. He's they're they're better when he's in the lineup, when he's in the game. He gives them more versatility on the wing than anybody else. Um, as a guy who's he's not a great three point shooter, but better than what they've got in in the rest of those wings right now. And he gives you at least length defensively. The the Lakers' big problem is that their best defensive backcourt, which is Caruso and KCP and, and Danny Green, that that kind of group there. That's a great defensive backcourt. It provides you nothing on offense. It's a negative on offense, and it makes it. It goes back to the problems I was just talking about. So if you want to put guys out on the floor that can, for 48 minutes or for however long Damian Lillard is playing, that can stay with Lillard and, and hopefully keep him from going off for 50, which he will do if you let him, uh, you're sacrificing a lot on the offensive side. So that's what I'm looking at for the Lakers tonight is what adjustments do they make? What adjustments does Frank Vogel make in a game where I thought he was outcoached in game one? What adjustments does he make to that rotation? And yes, they're going to need, no matter what Vogel does, Danny Green can't miss 80% of his threes. I mean, Danny Green has to become the guy that he was last year in Toronto. This is not like we're looking back at the Danny Green from 2013. Like Danny Green a year ago was an integral part of the Toronto Raptors championship run as a three-point shooter. He hasn't been that for the Lakers, especially lately. If he's not that guy now, I, I, maybe they get through Portland. Maybe. But asking them to get through Houston... Or, or I think they could actually do okay with Oklahoma City. I don't think it's a great matchup for the Thunder. But, but Houston or whoever they face in the conference finals, I don't know that the Lakers have the have the horses to get through all those games. They got LeBron and AD, but they need other guys to play well. Even if they the other two play great, playing games two on five offensively eventually will catch up to you. We also uh, talked with Rick about Kemba Walker and the Kemba Walker we're seeing. Uh, in Boston right now, and in you know, you asked the question. I, I might be butchering your question here, but is uh, you know, is the the Kemba we're seeing now different than the guy we saw in Charlotte? And he talked about the fact that Kemba doesn't have to be the guy who took all the shots, the guy who doesn't have to make every shot because Jason Tatum's been so good. Jalen Brown's also been very good as well. I I look at it and I don't know that this is going to happen, but if the Clippers and Lakers were were to were to go out in this in the playoffs. Man, I got to tell you I'm really loving what we're seeing from Boston as a team that I think could be one of the teams that wins the NBA championship. I'll be honest with you. I think they're one of the teams that could match up and be a fun matchup in the NBA finals even if those two teams are. And here's here's the big thing. They don't need to beat a talented Sixers team. They're cattywampus. They're not put together right, but they're going to beat a very talented 76ers team without needing that from Kemba Walker, that tells me this team has something into into reserve, a, a team that is not just your usual sixth seed. So I agree with you that Boston is absolutely a threat to win the title. They're absolutely a threat to win the title because of the level that Jason Tatum has ascended to, because Kemba Walker is healthier now than he's been in six months, and because Jalen Brown has been a very good third threat on offense uh, in his third year in the league. So I'm with you on, on all of that. Um, I'm not going to get out in front of my skis over playing a Philadelphia team that clearly doesn't want to be there. And this is the thing I said. I, I think I said it with Kyle, but um, the difference between Tatum, who went off last night, uh, and Luka Doncic is that Jason Tatum scored 33 points, 8 of 12 shooting. The Sixers let Jason Tatum score 33 points. They let him dominate that game. Luka Doncic dominated the Clippers. They they couldn't guard Luka. 
the Sixers didn't guard Tatum. I, 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 the defensive effort in the second half of that game, when Tatum started getting hot in the third quarter, was was like JV level defense for out of Philadelphia. Joel Embiid was going underneath screens and not even contesting shots. They weren't look, they weren't staying in front of Jason Tatum. They were getting easy looks. Tatum can do it against better teams with better effort. Absolutely. And I agree with you. I think Boston can win it. I think they're going to have a heck of a matchup in the second round against Toronto. That's going to be, I think the most fun series, maybe of the entire playoffs because of how, I think well-built both of those teams are. The thing that scares me about Boston is if they get into a series where they need to space the floor at all five positions, can they do it? Right now at center, Daniel Tice is just a he's a body. He's a guy that's setting screens, and that's about it. They, they need other guys to step up. Cantor actually played well last night, but that's the biggest weakness for Boston. But don't get me wrong, man. I think Kemba with that group, that's a fun group, and they are a threat to uh, – they're, they're definitely a threat to get to the finals. 704-570-9610. Hit us up in the Building Center text line, or at Nick Wilson says, at Josh Parcell in the Diamonds Direct Twitter feed, are you buying in on the Celtics as a potential title contender? It is time, though, for Buy the Boat. Oh, baby, here we go. Uh, we have bought the boat. We are buying a second boat. We might even buy a third boat this week, folks. Boy, the hot streak continues as last night we hit on all three picks in the NBA. Dallas plus six. I gave the Mavs. I said, look, the Mavs, they should have won game one. Give me the plus six in game two. They won by 13. Last he scores! Night. Put that baby to bed without a diaper. We don't need no stinking diapers. Boston, minus four and a half. Boston won by 27. Easy. We did it! That's right. We sure did. You know who else did it? Kemba Walker, who I gave you the over 21 and a half points. Honestly, I started getting nervous towards the end. Kemba had 15 at halftime. I thought it was a done deal. He barely hit the over with 22. Sweet. Because they were up by 20 points, Kimba Walker didn't have to play the last five minutes, but thankfully he still got the over anyway. So that's 3-0 and last night, 6-3 and on the week. Here are the by-the-boat picks for tonight. We're going to start Milwaukee against Orlando. That was a horrific performance by Milwaukee in Game 1. I expect Milwaukee to go out against a depleted Orlando team that's going to be without Aaron Gordon, several other key players out of this game for Orlando. I think Milwaukee answers. I trust the Bucks, who have been really good all year. It's just been a weird couple of weeks for them. I think tonight is the night where they get right. I'm going to take them minus 12 and a half. I think Milwaukee wipes the floor with Orlando in a bounce back game tonight. I don't think Orlando is very good. The difference in the Blazers series, I think the Blazers are just a much better opponent for the Lakers, which is why I don't know if the Lakers blow out Portland tonight, even though they're in a similar spot. So I'm taking the Bucks minus 12 and a half. Other two picks, I'm going to go to the Lakers game. I'm taking some player props. LeBron James over 29 and a half points. LeBron the other night had 15 assists, and they lost. They scored 93 points. LeBron, he's not going to be able to do it every night, but with in their facing going down 0-2, I think LeBron tonight takes matters into his own hands. I think he scores over 29.5. I also think Davis has a big night, but I'm going to take LeBron over 29.5 points. And then finally, I'm going to take Anthony Davis over 11.5 boards. I expect Davis to be active on the glass against a Portland team that's not great on the the boards themselves. So I'm taking Davis over 11.5 rebounds, LeBron over 29.5 points, and I got Milwaukee minus 12.5 against Orlando. I think the Bucs shoot a lot better tonight, by the way, as well. Look for that. So those are your by the boat picks tonight. We're six and three this week. Let's go home happy tonight, folks. So a schooner 
So we got a schooner this week. Is that a thing? Uh, that's isn't that the uh, the thing that Oklahoma rides in on? That's like a wagon, isn't it? I don't know. They no, say that's boot. a sooner. They say, well, no, sooner is the that's like the people from the state. Sooner schooner. Oh, the, the, what's the hold on? The sooner schooner. I'm looking this up. Could it be a sooner scooter? Because that sounds cool. Yeah, the sooner schooner. It's the wagon. Yeah, but we could buy one of those. No, I no, mean, we've already got enough boats. A schooner is a boat. But I just oh. don't know if it's a good boat or not. We'll look onto that. You know, we'll, horses. We'll, in the, they don't have boats in Oklahoma. We could all. You know, we could have two schooners. We could have a, a, a water schooner and then a land schooner. That's the kind of week they're having right it here. Is a boat. Why do they call it a schooner in Oklahoma? We'll have to figure it out. Buy the boat every single day here on Wilson and Parcel at four forty-five. Uh, check back tomorrow. We'll we'll give you the results. Breaking Panthers news when we come back on Sports Radio FNC.